Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. Amen. Over the last several weeks, we've looked at this passage of Scripture and we've understood what's going on. I'm not going to take much time in the, uh, in the context, but we've learned that Jesus has begun His earthly ministry. In His earthly ministry, uh, He begins His earthly ministry in John chapter number 2 as far as the public side of His earthly ministry with the, uh, with the, uh, with the, the, the turning the water into wine as the people uh, are beginning to see Jesus uh, in a public uh, ministry before the people. He performs that miracle, the first miracle, and He begins His ministry with miracles. And then He begins to teach and He begins uh, to preach the Word of God. God and to impart truth. And we all understand uh, the, the, what the Bible says about how the Lord did that. But here the Bible says that because of the ministry of the Lord Jesus, His fame was beginning to spread. Uh, his name was beginning to get out and people uh, were beginning to uh, hear about Jesus of Nazareth. As His name spreads, it comes to uh, the Tetrarch of Galilee by the name of King Herod. And he hears of His fame and He is interested in him, but when he hears about what's going on in the life of Jesus, it reminds him about John the Baptist, a man that in his past uh, he had committed to death by way of beheading. And we see that this passage is a passage that deals with events in the present in verse number 14, verse number 15, uh, verse number 16, uh, but in verse number 17 we find that uh, it begins to give us events of the past, really by way of a memory that Herod has uh, talking about the day and the circumstances surrounding his beheading of John the Baptist. And so we've been looking at that and uh, we've been uh, really looking at it from the perspective or from the angle of verse number 27 where the Bible says, and immediately the king, this is speaking about King Herod here, sent an executioner and commanded his, talking about John the Baptist there, his head to be brought and he went and beheaded him, the executioner went and beheaded John the Baptist in the prison. And from that very moment, one of God's greatest messengers was silenced. And that great voice was silenced. And so we began to look at the subject on silenced voices and how there's voices. The voice of God's man in the Word of God was silenced by a government that wanted to shut him up. Amen. It was silenced by uh, silenced by a king who uh, was acting out of fear of his wife and the wife really uh, pulling the strings Herodias pulling the strings because of an anger that she had against the preacher being backward against the preacher for just telling her like it was. Amen. And she didn't want to hear preaching uh, that was straight. Uh, she didn't want to hear preaching that was right. Uh, she would have much rather had someone come to her and speak to her swell things and kind things and gentle things uh, and, and the Bible talks about those that will uh, come along and speak peaceable things, but when you're living in sin, you don't need to hear about how, how you can have peace living where you are. You need to realize there's a God that is going uh, to hold you accountable for the sin that's in your life. And that's the kind of preacher that John was. And so when they silenced him, they silenced the voice 
of the preacher. And uh, we see that the world wants to do that today. Amen. And I'm telling you, there is no uh, greater hour, I believe, in all of the history of this, of, this, of this country where there is more pressure on the preachers of the Word of God than there are today. Amen. There was a day in the United States of America uh, where, where church and where uh, preaching and where uh, get the, word of the Word of God getting out was something that uh, people were interested in. Uh, last night I was uh, I was scrolling through some some videos on one of my one of my Bible apps. I was listening to some preaching, and uh, in the course of listening to some preaching on uh, my YouTube app, listening to I don't even remember who the preacher was, but I was listening to a preacher, and because it was preaching and it was Baptist preaching, one of the related videos was probably uh, perhaps the most famous Baptist preacher, Southern Baptist, but Baptist preacher to ever live, and everybody here knows, knows who it is. It was Evangelist Billy Graham. And uh, it was back at the Madison Square Garden Crusade from 1957. And I'll be honest with you, uh, he was preaching. Amen. He was doing some preaching. Amen. I listened to just a few minutes of it, and I noticed how in the United States of America, Madison Square Garden was packed out to hear a Bible-preaching preacher. Now, I, I, many of you may have different opinions of him, and that's fine. I have my own opinions of him. Amen. And he's gone and went to heaven. I'm going to keep that to myself. Amen. Uh, on things that toward the latter end of his ministry. At that point in time, he's preaching the Word of God. He was getting the gospel out and flocks of people, multitudes of people were gathering into Madison Square Garden to hear preaching. Can I say this? Anybody that's gathering in Madison Square Garden today, chances are they're not going to pack it out to hear a preacher. Amen. Amen. They, they don't mind a rock concert. They don't mind a pop concert. Uh, they wouldn't. Even, they don't mind. They don't mind a magician. They don't matter anything else you can show them. <clears throat> they don't mind if Ozzy gets in there and pulls a head off a bat. Amen. But they're not going to hear preaching. They will watch grotesque things. They will watch wicked things. They will watch ungodly things. But they're not going to listen to a preacher. Amen. There was a day in the United States of America where you would, you would hear about somebody preaching and even lost people say, well, I'll go and hear him. That sounds like fun. That doesn't happen today. If it does happen, it's fewer and farther between. You can never convince me the world we're living in doesn't want to silence the pulpit. I think that's why politics is the way that it is. Amen. I think that's why the world we live in is the way that it is. It's because our pulpits have been silenced. There was a day in the United States of America, uh, back when this country was founded, there were politicians that did what they did in, in, their, in the Congress, that they passed the laws that they passed because they knew if they passed a law that was against the Word of God, there would be preachers in their pulpits on Sunday morning that would call them out and they would request to their people to no longer support that political campaign. Amen. Don't tell me our pulpits aren't silent. We've become too afraid of losing our tax-exempt status to uh, preach the Word of God anymore. Amen. And I'll say this, I don't want to lose our tax-exempt status, but before the government tells me what I can preach and what I can't preach, guess what we'll do here at Beacon Baptist Church? We'll just pay taxes. On everything this ministry does. Amen. Amen. 
they're trying to silence the voice of the preacher. They wanted to do that in John's day, but then they also want to silence the voice of the pardoned. I believe John represents the voice of a Christian telling someone about the Lord, telling someone about the truth of God's Word. And no doubt, you go like I have done. You go into a Walmart somewhere and spend your afternoon, especially as a young person. I remember when I was a teenager, we would go into Walmart and we would go in and spend an entire afternoon passing out tracks in Walmart. You'd be surprised how a manager of Walmart will get mad at a 15, 16 year old kid. I feel like they would have they, they would have been fine with me smoking in the aisle of that of that store more than they would me passing out a gospel track. They wouldn't have minded as much as I shoplifted from them as much as they would me passing out a track free of charge. Amen. We've been kicked out of stores before. I've been kicked out of neighborhoods before, amen, for just trying to share the gospel. The world is not a friend of a Christian that wants to tell people about Christ. The most un, it's an offensive message to the world, but if you think about it, it's the most unoffensive thing that's going on in our world today. What's offensive about Jesus loves you? Everybody, everybody will say, I admit I'm a sinner, at least most will. I've had some people that were crazy enough to say I've never sinned. Amen. I heard a preacher one time say that person's crippled too high for crutches. Amen. <laughs> yeah, but most of the people I've read, they said, hey, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong. Amen. If you already understand that, then what's offensive about saying, hey, you don't have to bear that sin all the way to the grave. There's someone that already took that sin from you, took that punishment from you, took that hell that you deserve from you. What's offensive about that? Well, the Bible, did, the Bible does say that, that, that it, because they hated Christ, they would hate us. So people want to silence the voice of the pardoned. Here's, here's, here's the sad thought, though. There's many preachers in our world that will remain silent, and they will stay silent, and then the God will call their number, their heart will stop, they'll go to heaven without ever truly declaring everything God has for them. I said this several weeks ago, but I'm going to say it again. Those of you in here that are preachers, don't stop preaching. God, if God has a message for you, you need to preach it. God has something for you to share, you need to share it. Amen. Because there will be a day, and you listen to me, and I understand I'm a young man, and I might have many years ahead of me, I might not, but I do want to say this, that if God gives me something to preach, I want to preach it. And as a pastor of this church, whether you like it or not, I'm going to do my best to preach it, not because I want to hurt you, not because I want to scare your children, but I will say this, I do not want to leave this world and have my voice silenced by death with something that I should have said and could have said, well, God gave me the breath and I didn't preach it. I don't want to be a Christian that leaves this world without sharing the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ every opportunity that I can. Why in the world we want our voice, our voices to be like John, silenced by death and never having told anyone about Jesus. There are multitudes in this generation that will die and, and even those that are saved will die and go to heaven. But they'll, do, they'll, they'll leave this world not doing, not doing the one thing that you cannot do as a Christian in heaven. And that is win somebody to Jesus. You ever think about that? You can do just about anything you can do here, you can do there. You'll sing in heaven. You'll shout in heaven. You'll worship in heaven. Amen. And I think if heaven's going to be, I think if heaven's going to be heaven for those of us that are preachers, I wonder if the Lord might just let us take turns just preaching on Jesus, preaching about how good He is. Amen. I just don't. I don't want to follow John the Baptist or. 
or uh, Percy Ray or, uh, amen, Peter or some of those guys, Paul, amen. Could you imagine being in heaven and you get an opportunity to brag on the Lord and you have to follow Paul's ministry, amen, amen, in a glorified body, amen, amen. But I tell you what, there's something you will, you'll be able to do just about anything you can do in church in heaven. But one thing you're called to do here that you cannot do there is tell somebody about Jesus and witness to them. Because when you're there, there'll be no need of it. Everybody you could have won will either be here in the earth headed to hell or already be in hell. Because you didn't tell them the truth. Don't let death silence. Don't be a silenced voice of the pardon and die and die and leave this world, even as a Christian, without telling somebody about Jesus, without telling a multitude of somebody's about Jesus. Amen. Then we began to look at these voices of the pardoned, or excuse me, the voices of the perishing. In this text, John represents a preacher, and he represents someone pardoned from their sin, saved by the grace of God. And when his voice was silenced, that opportunity to preach the Word of God, that opportunity to share faith in Jesus was silenced because his physical voice was silenced. But here we find many people, several people uh, in our text. Uh, well, so there's, there's a handful of people in our text that unless, uh, unless something happened that the Bible does not give us a record of, these people's voice was silenced by death and they died without having called out to Jesus to ask, the, ask him to save them from their sins and be born again. We, no, we noticed, and I'm not going to add anything to last week. We noticed Herodias last week. We started a little bit about Herod. The Lord changed our direction. And then we preached a little bit about Herodias last week. Herod pictures the perishing voice of a convicted sinner. Herodias represents the perishing voice of a conniving sinner. Those that have an, just such an internal being against God that they are scheming, that they are plotting, and they are just diametrically opposed to anything that has to do with the things of God. And that sounds harsh, but they're out there. Amen. They're out there. Amen. There are many people that fit the bill. And we noticed last week how wicked Herodias had to be to use the, uh, to use the end that she had with her husband, to use the love that he had and the devotion that he had for her uh, to uh, turn his heart and to do it by wicked means and ungodly means and unfathomable means to turn his mind against God's man and make him do her will in killing the only preacher that loved her enough to tell her the truth. The voice of a conniving sinner. Let's go back and looking at Herod for just a few minutes this morning as we look at how Herod is a picture of, a, as of, a, of someone that is perishing, someone that is on their way to hell and the Bible never, it gives us, it gives us several different accounts of Herod's life and all of them point to the fact that he was lost and that he was undone without God. Had no, had no savior in his life and we see that as we look at what the Bible has to say about him. And so we see conviction in his life. And we noticed a couple of weeks ago how conviction comes from a divine full disclosure. How the conviction is a guilty verdict. Verse 16 uh, tells us that he said that it is John whom I beheaded. He realized he brings that up, that that sin is still in the forefront of his mind. 
It's a guilty verdict. And God, through conviction, lets us know that we're sinners in need of a Savior. We saw that. Number two, we saw that conviction is a reproof that comes from light and how John's life, I believe, was a light to, um, was a light to Herod. The Bible says that we are to let our light in Matthew chapter 5 so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. John didn't just witness to Herod by his lips, but he witnessed to Herod by his life. Amen. He let his light shine before men and just watching John live for God, as the Bible says, Herod knew that he was a just man and that he was holy. Amen. The Bible says that there. The Bible says that in verse number 20. For Herod feared John knowing that he was a just man and holy and observed him. We notice that the Bible said that he observed him. That he watched him. That he kept a close eye on John. And as he watched his life, Herod I believe the Bible when mentioning that word fear there uh, gives us an idea of him being under conviction by the reproof that he got from the light of John's godly life lived out in front of him. Open your Bibles with, with me. Turn rather in them to Acts chapter number 7. I want to give you another thought this morning about conviction. As we notice the fact that conviction comes from a divine full disclosure of sin. The Bible, we've mentioned that conviction brings a guilty verdict and lets us know that we're guilty of sin against God. Conviction is reproof that comes to us from light. God turns the light on on our sin and by doing so gives us a full disclosure. Does not hide anything about the sin that's in our life. And that's what conviction does. Amen. Not only does it let us know that we're guilty, but it turns the light of the, of the Word of God on, uh, on our lives. And we see light. Uh, that, and that light from God reproves us of the sin that we're engaged in. But then let me give you this one. Acts chapter number 7. Acts chapter number 7 and verse uh, number 54. Acts chapter number 7 and verse number 54. Let me give you this thought. Conviction is also a cut to the heart. As God is letting you know about your need of a Savior, as He is letting you know how sinful you are, as He is giving you a divine full disclosure about where you stand with Him, a conviction to a sinner is a cut to the heart. Conviction to a saint of God is a cut to the heart. When God uses that, uh, uses the Word of God that lets you know that you're guilty, when God turns the light on to the, to the location of the sin in your life, what that will in turn do is it will strike you deeply in your heart, in the seat of your emotions, and it will cause you, uh, amen, to, uh, to feel the burden, the pain of conviction. There may be some of you here this morning that remember the day that you got saved about the weight that, uh, that God took off of you when he, you finally surrendered to Him and asked Him to save you. You remember how guilty you felt. You remember how ungodly you felt. You remember how unworthy you felt of Him and the things of God. And can I say what God did was He used His Word and He used the light of the Word of God and He cut you to the heart. He got it to where you needed it to be. Can I say conviction needs to be more than just, uh, uh, just an acknowledgement in your head? 
that there's something that has to change. You see, an acknowledgement in your head will tell you, I need to do something different. I need to turn over a new leaf. I need to stop doing this or that. But can I say, you can turn over a new leaf. You can stop doing sinful things. And you can replace them with things that aren't necessarily as sinful. And you can do all of those things in the power of the flesh. But when conviction or when a knowledge of your sin advances from beyond your head and gets to your heart, that's something you can't do on your own. It cannot be done in the energy of the flesh. Notice what the Bible says in Acts chapter number 7. Let me give you the context before we read verse number 54. What's going on here is that Stephen is preaching to national Israel. He's speaking to Israel as a nation. He's letting them know that they as a nation have rejected Jesus as their Messiah. That they as a nation have turned their back on Him. And that they have crucified the Lord of glory. That They are responsible for His death. Peter tells them that. Hoping that they will get saved, hoping, hoping that they will trust the Lord. By the way, is it not, was it not Jesus that told his disciples to go not but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Was it not the Lord in Acts chapter number 2 that told his disciples that the, that the great commission was to start in Jerusalem with the Jews? Is it not the Bible? Was it not Paul that told us that the gospel was to the Jew first and also to the Greek? I don't believe we should turn our back on the nation of Israel. Amen. Amen. I'm not, I'm not necessarily, I, you, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a Zionist. Amen. By any means. I'm not going to fly, a, a, I'm not going to fly Israeli flag in here. I'm not going to put a star of David on the wall. I know churches that do. I'm not doing it. Because I'm not a part of that nation. However, as a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, what I will do and what I will say is that I believe we ought to stand with the Jew. God has not rejected the nation of Israel. And the Bible said he gave them the gospel first. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but that's what the Bible teaches, whether you agree with it or not. Amen. The gospel is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It came to us second, but it went to the Jew first. Amen. Here in this passage, right after Pentecost, we find that, that godly, holy uh, man of God, deacon full of faith, Stephen, and he stands up and he preaches his first message. He preaches his only message, and he preaches his last message. And as he tells them about their sin in an effort to win them to God, Here's what the Bible says, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Can I say verse 54 is the wrong response to conviction? Can you imagine how mad you have to be and I've, I've, I've heard people say that this just really, just really means grinding the teeth. And, and that's okay if you believe that. Uh, amen. But I, I, I will say this, and I've studied it, and yes, the word does mean a grinding of the teeth. But I will say this. If I've ever preached to somebody and they are mad enough at me, Brother Bob, that they're going to grit their teeth and they're going to, the word really means to growl, I don't have any problem believing they might bite me after it. Amen. The only creatures I ever see grit their teeth and grind their teeth and growl at me usually are going to bite me. It's a dog or a wolf or a coyote or something like that. Either way, I don't, I'm not messing with them. Amen. I'm a little bit more bold than my pastor was on visitation. Uh, I will go out if I see a dog at a door. 
Amen. Me and Brother Lewis went out and walked right past the dogs, go up to the door. Amen. Some of you, I went with you. We walked right past the dogs. Amen. I do use a little bit of wisdom. My pastor used to tell me, he said, he, he said this is why God gave me preacher boys. <laughs> He'd, he'd tell me and Austin, and we'd be me and Brother Austin Wagner, me in the car. He said, all right, boys. He'd see a beware of dog sign. He said, all right, boys, y'all go win them to Jesus. If y'all don't, they're going to have to find him on their own. <laughs> Amen. I tell you, I heard that more than once. Amen. He didn't trust anything that'd growl at him. He didn't trust anything that's going to grit their teeth at him. You know, can you imagine how mad you have to be at just the word of God and the gospel being given for you to respond? Uh, maybe even in the physical nature of hurting the messenger. I don't think that was a great start to Stephen's ministry to you. I've preached more messages than one. But he preached one that was so stout with biblical truth and the, so stout uh, with the Word of God that the Bible said they were immediately under heavy conviction. I believe it comes from him being a holy man, him being a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, that, the God, that God used that message in that way. But you know why they did that? The Bible said they were cut to the heart. It cuts deep to be under conviction. It's not an easy thing to be under conviction. Can I say this this morning? I encourage you, if, pre, if, if preaching this morning or any other time, if Sunday, the Sunday school lessons today have got to the place where they have cut you to the heart, can I say God is not trying to cut you to hurt you. God has taken the sword of the Spirit that is, that is, a, is a two-edged sword that divides even to uh, the, the asunder of soul and spirit. He's putting it in that He might take it out and that, he, that He's putting it deep in you that there might be a deep work done in you and that you won't stop at just the pain of conviction, but you'll let God save you. Either as a lost person, you let him save you from your sin, or as a, as a saint of God, you can let him save you from yourself. You can let him save you from your flesh. You can let, you, you can let him save you, deliver you from wrecking your life or losing reward at the judgment seat. Conviction is a cut to the heart. But not only is conviction a cut to the heart, I'm going to hurry and give you this one and we'll be done this morning. Conviction is also a constant pricking of one that is sinful. Go to Acts chapter number 2 with me this morning. Acts chapter number 2 in verse number 37. <clears throat> Acts chapter number 2. I'll begin reading in verse number 32 for the sake of the context. The Bible says, This Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, uh, but he saith himself, The Lord hath said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Verse 36, here's his intent. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Do you see in these passages of Scripture as... As these verses, as as these uh, as these uh, preachers and declarers of the truth of the gospel, as they are giving the gospel, they're being very personal about it. I think that we live in a day to where we are very general about the truths that we get out of fear. 
You hear a preacher preach today, and most of the time you'll, you'll hear preaching about how uh, we are all this way. You'll hear that a lot. Uh, you'll hear uh, a preacher use use terms, uh, you know, uh, just just very vague uh, terms in addressing who it is he's exactly talking to. It is uh, almost, not completely, but it is almost a thing of the past where men of God stand in the pulpit and will preach to individuals. There used to be a day to where preachers would stand in the pulpit and if they knew you had a particular sin in your life, they'd call you by name. Amen. There used to be in invitations, there used to be in, in, in bygone years, and many of these men are already in heaven today, but in the invitation when they were pleading to sinners, they would walk out in the pews. I know Brother Caldwell has a testimony about J. Harold Smith doing it, walking out in the pews and grabbing people that they knew by the hand or people that the Lord put on their heart by the hand and said, Brother Lewis, won't you get saved? If I did that this morning, I'd have, have a feeling most of you'd be mad at me for embarrassing him. Now, I believe he's saved. He's got a good testimony of salvation. But if I came to somebody and somebody came in here lost and I went up to them and said, Brother so-and-so, sister, sir, or, or, or sir or ma'am, I don't want to call them brother or sister, but sir or ma'am, won't you get saved? Won't you trust Christ? I'd have some of you get mad at me for embarrassing somebody. Can I say I would rather embarrass them all the way to heaven than to ignore them all the way to hell? Amen. That used to be a way that we did business because we realized that people being under conviction sometimes requires a personal touch. And I understand it's a personal touch of the Holy Ghost. But I believe we, you and I ought to stop being afraid of how people are going to view what we do and just give the Word of God and give the truth and witness to people where they are. And if you know someone's going to hell, why don't you go to where they are and ask them, won't you be saved? Won't you trust the Lord? Why don't you trust Jesus? He's the only hope you have. Why don't we do that? Amen. I, I was, I was, uh, I've discovered this week. Uh, I told, I told my wife. I now don't, don't y'all get messed up with me about this, brother Tommy. Some of you tech guys. I used to be afraid, or not afraid. I used to be against podcasts, but I've started listening to them recently because I found some good ones. But everyone I ever listened to was as liberal as a goose. So I used to be against them. And uh, now I'm not because I've, I've heard some good ones. This, this week I've come across another good one. Uh, uh, brother, brother Ronnie Brown has a podcast called Forgotten. And I've, I've mentioned that to some of the, some of the men that, like, that I know like podcasts. And if you do, uh, that's a good one to sign into. I, I, I've loved it. I've, only, I've listened to two episodes and I love it already. Uh, but what Brother, Sim, what brother uh, Ronnie Brown, I about said Ronnie Simpson, amen, different fella. Ronnie Brown does, is he's a preacher and he's an evangelist and he does a lot of online stuff and he has a big online ministry. Uh, but one thing that he started doing is, is he started doing a podcast where he tells uh, the, the real faith stories of saints of God that have lived. Uh, the two that I've, he's, he's, uh, I've listened to, uh, the one about John Elliott. If y'all know anything about John Elliott, he was the... Uh, missionary to Ecuador that got killed, him and his team, uh, just, just a couple of years after they were there. They made their first contact in just three years, uh, three days later, uh, a savage tribe in Ecuador killed them. And uh, young missionaries right out of Bible college. But it is Jim Elliott that made the statement that said that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. 
That's a blessing, amen. And a man that gave his life for the gospel. So I listened to a podcast about his life. It's absolutely amazing, his story. But I thought about, and I mentioned this to some of the men at the prayer breakfast in the, in the devotion I gave yesterday. About uh, I listened to what he had to say about John Harper. I don't know if many of you know who John Harper is, but John Harper was, a, was, was I think, the only Baptist preacher that was on the, uh, on the, uh, the faded voyage, maiden voyage of the Titanic. And uh, he, he had just recently, uh, before, and I'm going to give this story and I'll be done. He had just recently, uh, bef- before he left on the Titanic, been widowed. His wife had passed away. He was left, I think, with a six-year-old little daughter. And uh, he delayed his trip. He was headed to Chicago because they had extended an invitation for him to be the next pastor of Moody Church in Chicago. All the way from, uh, all the way from Scotland, Scottish pastor got word that they wanted him to come to Chicago. He is on his way to America from, from, uh, from uh, the area where they were, the Titanic was, was uh, setting sail. And uh, the, uh, that, that story says that he delayed his voyage so his little girl could have, the, they were supposed to go on the Lusitania, but he wanted her to be able to be a second-class passenger on the Titanic, the most luxurious ship in all the world after losing her mom. So they get on the Titanic, and you all know what happens with the Titanic. But they said as the ship began to go down, John Harper, as a, as a, as a preacher and as a, someone who has, had given his life to winning souls, put his six-year-old little girl in the hands of a stranger in a lifeboat, and with tears in his eyes turned around, knowing that as a widower he could have got on the boat with her. And they would, have, they would have not said a word because she needed a guardian. But he put his daughter into the hands of Nellie, into the hands of a stranger, and turned around and began to run across that, that boat as it's beginning to tip down. And he began to cry, cry out, Women, children, and the unsaved in the lifeboat. <laughs> Women, children, and the unsaved in the lifeboat. It is said that he was one of the one of the several that uh, one of the just the handful of people that uh, were able as the ship was going down to jump into the water and survive. And they said as he got into the water with every with all of twenty seven degree water, just few, just several minutes from hyperthermia and death, he began to frantically swim out in the water. To everyone he knew was still alive, and he'd walk, he, he would swim up to them and say, "Are you saved?" And if they said no, he would tell them, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved." And he'd swim away, and he'd go to the next one. Are you saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. There was one of the, the, the story ends for John Harper. His story ends with an individual one of only seven that they pulled alive out of the water. Only seven people made it in the water that the lifeboats were able to save and bring to safety. One of the seven that was brought and was actually able to live was the last person that John Harper got to talk to before drowning. And in that story, he, the man gave a testimony of what happened to him with John Harper. And they said that he swam up to him. Really, the waves brought him over as he was on a piece of debris. And he said, Sir, he said, Man, are you saved? And he said, No. And he he said that, he said that he took off his life jacket and he said, If that's the case, you need this more than I do. And he gave him that life jacket. 
And then the waves brought him away. And for some reason, as God would have it, brought him back. And as he brought him back, he said, are you saved now? And he said, no, sir, I cannot honestly say that I am. And he again said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And he said, as soon as he uttered the words, he began to try to swim away and tell other people about Jesus. And as he began to swim away, because of the length of time he'd been in the water, he lost all of his strength and unable to swim, began to go beneath the water. And as he went beneath the water, uh, that person said, as he saw John Harper descend underneath the, underneath the dark uh, waters of, of the Atlantic Ocean, he said, that it just, he said, with 200 miles of ocean beneath me, I trusted Christ. And he was able to go into a church years later and declare, I'm the last convert of John Harper. And I think about that, and I think about, how, about conviction. I think about how you and I ought to give a personal call to people to be born again. Here's the reason why. Because the Bible says here, after they did that, verse 37, said, Now when they heard this... Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You see, John Harper, I believe, witnessed in a way that we all should. You go to an individual where they are. And you ask, don't just, don't just say, could there, be, uh, you know, could there be someone here this morning? That's not saved. I understand we have to do that in a group of people. But if all we ever do is do general truth, chances are we're going to get very general results. I believe the Bible teaches us that not only should we be concerned about masses, but we should be concerned about individuals. I believe that we ought to be concerned. And again, I'm not, preaching just on, I'm not preaching on soul winning this morning. I'm preaching on conviction. The Bible clearly teaches that if we will go to people where they are as individuals, God, through conviction, will prick them personally. I understand that, that, you know, uh, that, that we are all sinners and we are all guilty before God. But with this idea of conviction, not only being a cut to the individual heart, but it being a prick of conviction that the Bible talks about when Paul got saved. He said that it was hard to kick against the pricks, plural. If you will go to someone as an individual, you know what will happen? God will prick them in that heart. They were just cut deep. God has already cut them deep with the, God, with, the, with, the, with the testimony of the gospel, with the Holy Ghost of God. But what he will do is he will begin to prick and to prick and to prick. If you've been cut the last thing you want, if, you've be, if you have some kind of abrasion, the last thing you want is something sharp on your wound. But can I tell you, that's exactly what God does when it comes to a sinner needing to be saved, when it comes to a saint of God needing to get their life where it needs to be. Not only will God cut you to the heart and leave you with an open wound when it comes to, uh, when it comes to your spiritual condition, but then he'll take, the, he'll take a sharp, a sharp, a personal object of truth, and he'll begin just ever so slightly to prick and to prick. And if that happens, your attention is going to be turned on. Amen. Yes, if I were to have a wound here today and you'd take a toothpick and prick that open wound, I promise you I'm alert now. I'm aware now. You see, if you're not alert and you're not aware when that happens, that's a sign of death. Amen. 
You know the people that aren't being the people that aren't uh, aren't responding at all to conviction, aren't exp- responding at all to when God cuts them, aren't responding at all uh, to when God pricks them. It's people that are dead in trespasses and sins. People thought, I believe, already rejected. I understand a sinner's dead in trespasses and sins, but that light being cut on, God is doing a work in your life trying to get you to spiritual life. Amen. But there are some people that get, get themselves to the place they're completely dead. They've turned away conviction. They've turned away from the truth of God, and I believe God will only continue to prick for so long. You keep rejecting, you keep rejecting, and I believe there'll come a day where God will stop pricking and God will stop cutting for a sinner. I believe that as a child of God, if you go against the conviction in your life, I believe God, I believe God convicts, I believe that God uh, cuts, I believe that God pricks us to do right and to live right and to, and to adjust our life to where it's in line with the scriptures. But I will tell you something else. As a Christian, if you completely uh, go uh, to the point to where you are constantly God's convicting and you're turning it over in your mind, you'll say, I'll do this another day. I, I, I'll surrender sometime down the road. And young people, you listen to me this morning because at your age, you are more susceptible to say, I'll do it another day. I'll do it another year. I'll wait till I'm married. I'll wait till I have children. Many will say, I'll wait till later. And when I feel like I've got my life all together, if you're going to do that, you'll never get your life all together. Amen. I don't feel like my life's all together now, do you? Amen. Don't put it off because even as a child of God, Peter said, you can get to the place where you will forget that you've been purged from your old sins. You can be saved by the grace of God. You can be headed to the same heaven that Paul went to. But you can feel like you're on your way to hell. That could be some of the reason why some people doubt their salvation so much. It could be some of the reasons why, why, so, why some people struggle. Am I saved? Am I not saved? Because the, the key to, uh, to knowing that you're saved is walking in the truth that God gives you from His Word. Amen. If you are what my pastor used to say, you want assurance for your salvation, walk with Jesus. Because if you are currently walking with Jesus today, you won't doubt your salvation. How can you doubt your salvation when you're walking with Him? Amen. And I'm not talking about just being saved. I'm talking about having a daily walk with God to where His presence is a very vital part of your everyday life. If that's you this morning and you walk with God every day, you're not going to doubt your salvation. You'll have assurance of your salvation. It's hard to not have assurance of being saved when the Savior goes with you everywhere you go. Let's be concerned about conviction. Bible conviction is a divine full disclosure. It is a divine full disclosure in the fact that it's a guilty verdict from the Word of God. It is a divine full disclosure in the fact that it is reproof that comes from light. It is a divine full disclosure in the fact that it is a cut to the heart. It is a divine full disclosure in the fact that it is a constant pricking of one, the one that is sinful. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.